recorded live from the mats of radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Pierce. Ring the bell and let's get it on. Can hear me? Yeah, I can't hear myself. You want to hear yourself? You uh, love hearing yourself. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife I says. Can't hear you. So yes. There's nobody who likes hearing you talk more than yourself. Uh, you guys <laughs> talk, and I'll fix it. <laughs> so we're not. Um, we're not rec- are we recording? We're recording. Yes. All right. This is so professional. <laughs> so I want to say it's great to have uh, Jilson Oliveira back on the podcast. Well, thank. You. No, I'm, I'm pleased to be here again. Yes. And, Wonderful uh, to have you. And we're going to talk some drama. Old school, uh, old school. Yeah, not drama, but it's like uh, it's part of the history, you know, because yeah. uh, the thing with the history is that there are people that they never had a voice. Right. The, you know? the, the, the person who controls the PR controls the message. People who put the, f- the, the information first, like they control the frame of the narrative. And then for those who are, you know, a little yeah. knowledgeable in terms of psychology and linguistics know how it works. And uh, so today I'm here, something that I do very often to, to my friend Rene is that I translate videos that are spoken in Portuguese, right, by people from the Muay Thai Luta Livre community back in the 80s and 90s, you know, just talking about things that happened at that time, time that I lived, by the way. So I'm talking about out of experience, not... That you because, witnessed. Yeah, because, not because I watch a YouTube video. Yeah. Because I lived it. And I translate some things to him. And then we're going to talk about some things related to it. And I look forward to in the future as well, as you guys would like to, you know, to do some translation to other videos as well that are currently have, happening right now in 2018, you know, with uh, Marco Ruiz and Rogério Camões, who is the strength conditioning coach for the Black House with Carlão Barreto. He was talking some shit with Master Malibu. <laughs> and about the, the, the challenge between Marco Ruiz and Hickson Gracie. And he was talking some things about something yeah. with Master Malibu and like took like a, a week or two and Mark who had jumped in, jumped right into the YouTube saying, like, stop talking shit because that's not what happened and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, yeah. it's 2018 and everybody's still like living in the 80s no, and 90s you know, with the conversation. I'll that's tell you, you know, we had a, a weekend of amazing fights and we had legends and we love to create legends. We were talking about it on one podcast that... We love to create legends, but legends fall. And sometimes the way we build people up is not always um, – maybe it's a little too much. And, and, and just going back to the last UFC uh, and the one before it, well, first we saw Shogun get destroyed by Smith. Uh, that's a legend falling. And, and of course, you know, not saying he wasn't good in the beginning. But then you'll see Demetrius Johnson who fought violently, he fought his heart out. Um, but, you know, uh, was it's, it's a change in the guard and, and – you know the legend fell, and uh, but sometimes we want to create our legends. We want we want those. We want to rewrite history in, in, in our way. And it's great to have that voice into what you experience in your your perspective. But let's talk about the the UFC. With Matt, you Did you you you, uh, you, you watch the um, the the behind the scenes videos? No, no. I, so, I saw the UFC countdown before the fight, but that's it. Yeah. So Demetrius Johnson, uh, not a legend in my book, <laughs> because you don't think I mean, so. No, as as far as fighting, legend yeah. fine. Yeah, but he has an above ground pool. The guy's a millionaire. Get a get an in ground pool, man. <laughs> I need my legend. I need Hercules. You know, I, need, <laughs> I need my legend. You want the Conor McGregor? Uh, yes, yeah. I no, no, no. You know what? I love how grounded Demetrius Johnson was. I I don't know. I actually I would say I bumped into him 
on 34th Street here in New York on my way to the Academy, and he and his wife were, I think, in New York for some publicity relations, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. And it was it was it was uh, eight in the morning, seven seven forty five in the morning, uh, Sunday morning, and um, I bumped into him, and you know this guy is a this is a famous guy, and I, and he was so nice. So polite and so fan friendly, and I just want to say, you know, I said you're an inspiration. And then, the, literally, I had to go literally right after me. And this is seven forty five in the morning on a Sunday. He's walking with his wife, and he's giving up his personal time. He could have easily said, "Hey guys, I just got to go." But there was a, someone after us, and he was very, very personable. And I, I didn't ask for an autograph, but that guy seemed to ask for an autograph or something. Just genuinely, really, really nice person. Someone who is. At the highest level is martial arts, but doesn't eat their own, drink their own Kool-Aid to the point where they become a jerk. I, I've met a lot of fighters, and there are few fighters I met were as nice as he was. And I've let, met a lot of nice fighters. This guy was just such an awesome guy. I mean, he's just a great person. This pool only fits like five people. <laughs> I can't get off the pool. I need him to invest in his family. But he has kids, so the kids, they probably think it's gigantic, you no, know? Also, also, he's Matt. He's a tiny guy. Also, Legitimately, he is not being paid Conor McGregor money, and he's no. you know that's so it, it, like hey, like three hundred thousand on this fight though. That the, like well compared that to one hundred one point well, yeah, something million. Yeah, like look, it's smart. It's very smart to let's not go like um, uh, you, you remember MC Hammer, the 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 the, the guy. The guy's like a bil- millionaire, tons of money, and then he winds up bankrupt. Like obviously, Demetrius Johnson's doing something smart. He's financial planning, and for all those guys fighting out there. I, I, this is what I tell That's all true. my fighters. MC is, Hammer, that's his example. <laughs> no, no, but remember, the guy had so much money. MC Hammer, it, he was employing 200 people, yeah. families and friends at all the crazy. ghetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, no, put him in the payroll. <laughs> and then yeah. the guy's taking care of his money was not paying the IRS. So IRS plus paying monthly like 200 people <laughs> because just like, no, he's my friend. You know, he grew up with me when he was seven years old, whatever. He's my buddy, whatever it is. And, of course, bankruptcy yeah. is just no, a matter but, of time. No, but, you know, I, I bring up MC Hammer. But it's so so common in the fight world to be left with nothing. The the thing I recommend fighters to do absolutely is have a really good accountant who manages your money. And mm-hmm. and so when you retire, you have a good nest egg to live off. And and I hate Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor's coach. Let me repeat that. I, I don't think I ever say that enough on this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you also hate Damian Maya. I don't hate Damian Maya. That's <laughs> not true. I love Damian Maya. I just think he has a terrible shot. Don't don't get me in trouble. No, no, like, <laughs> no, but hate hate is a very strong no, but, word. Right? But when John Kavanaugh. I, John I don't Kavanaugh, like the guy. J- no, I, like, I don't like yeah, Don yeah, Jones. I don't, I don't hate him. Yeah, no, he's an I, asshole. I don't like him. Right, but I don't hate. Okay, well, I don't know him. He's in therapy. Yeah, <laughs> they need um, therapy. <laughs> we're, we're getting off track. Oh, yeah, but John Kavanaugh. And rehab. <laughs> yeah, John Kavanaugh said something very smart. He's like, the name of the game of the fight game is when you retire, how much of a nest egg you have for the rest of your life, and you only have this certain amount of fights in you. So don't blow all your money, and you know, be responsible. I, I have a personal friend, and he he was uh, very smart that he made some money in the tech boom in the you know the late nineties and early two thousands. And not like bazillion, bazillion amounts of money. But what he did was he invested. He didn't go all crazy and buy a you know Lamborghini. He invested it back, was very responsible. And now he does, for the last 20 years, he has not had to work a day in his life. He has a great home. He does yoga. And uh, he enjoys his life. And uh, he lives a great lifestyle with his uh, wife and child. And um, has no cares because he financially plans properly. So Demetri Johnson, I'm sure, is... You, you want to see you want to see the razzle dazzle you want to see the the Hollywood but 
this guy is smart in a lot of ways, and he probably has a bank account that is going to take care of him for himself for the rest his of his kids life. Kids are going to be set up for life. Exactly. His wife is Go, pregnant right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know. But what you what you let's get off the let's fight. Let's get into yeah, the yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, what what let's I got to talk about that fight, um, and the TJ Dillashaw fight. We have to talk about this. Is just amazing, amazing night of fights. And um, what was your take? And then we we'll go around and let's start with the with the, the DJ DJ and um, and Cejudo fight. And you know, on this podcast, many times I've said how much I absolutely respect uh, Cejudo. And you can go back and said this guy will be back stronger. His work mm-hmm. ethic, his ability to absorb technique and take his training seriously, and to grow. And I just saw a picture that was posted: two thousand eight Olympic bron- Olympic gold medalist, two thousand eighteen UFC world champion. Man, this guy is just amazing. He's one of the very few people that have done both. Yeah. I'll say at the beginning, um, I don't think Cejudo will have the belt very long. Um, I think he'll maybe defend it maybe once or twice, mm-hmm. but I don't think he'll keep it very long, especially not as long as, as Demetrius Johnson kept it for, what, 12, 13 defenses? Yeah. That's a lot, lot of uh, a lot. title defenses. Uh, I think the difference in the fight was being able to take him down. Nobody's really taken Demetrius Johnson down and then and worked him, him on the ground yes, absolutely. As, as smartly as uh, Cejudo did. Um, I, I'm very happy to see Zahudo did a great job, came back from his camp, and, and really uh, learned a lot Amazing. over the last Amazing uh, evolution. Camp. And uh, it was a great fight. Um, I think and, he definitely And his won. coach wins on the most fashionable MMA coach I've ever seen. Did you see oh, those he glasses? glasses? Yeah, this <laughs> little mohawk. Yeah. 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 Nice, He's, nice I think he, hi- hi- uh, you know, he, he moonlights as a fashion designer as, and, He's got and a, a boxing coach. He's got pool. <laughs> um, and and Jilson, uh, uh, what, what was your take on the, the DJ and um, and uh, Cejudo fight? I said it before, because we were watching the fight together, the Cejudo was, I called him Menudo. You know? <laughs> Menudo. And, yeah, Menudo. And uh, he was prepared, you know. So I understand where Matt's coming from when saying that, you know, maybe he would want to be able to hold for maybe one or two Tadash defenses. Okay, I get that. Only that he proved that he was able to be open to improve yeah. and work on things that he needed to fight someone as the Mighty Mouse. Yeah. All right? So it's like he's not an easy guy to fight somebody who defended. He started for 10, 12 times. And he's like, he's just very talented guy and very present, very aware of the moment because people who have such a like quick responses are people who are present to what is happening at the time. So he's very aware of what is happening he's, and he's very quick in responding to the attacks and etc. So Sehud was uh, focused on, of course, see, okay, so where did I fail and how can I better strategically prepare myself to to the next fight? Yeah. And, and he did it. Amazing. Yeah. So the thing is like things that we need to, to sometimes take into consideration is that there is a place where we go and we reach a, a peak. And from that point forward, there is a decline. So one thing to consider is, is that the, has like maybe... Do you mean life. athletic, My, like athletic yeah, peak athlet, or, or athlet, mental? Right. Athletic peak, right? Mm-hmm. Because the mentally... And uh, and uh, as I got, you guys, uh, some people, some of you know, is that I work with tw- uh, with fighters. I trained fighters for twenty two years, and in, especially in, in the strength conditioning arena and uh, all the psychology going behind it at the time of the fight. And so, psychology at the, can change right away. Okay, there are some techniques that we can use that 
people just can just change and get better and uh, just be present and fight better okay now I'm talking about a peak about conditioning into also age you know and the different stage of their lives where the priority changes you know the uh, uh, so my question is has mighty mouse reached the peak his peak mm. and from this point forward he wouldn't be able to bounce back from this particular defeat not because he is not mentally strong but because physically speaking sehuda has kind of a kind of figured him out in a yeah, way yeah. and preparing himself in a way that that's it. <laughs> you you don't mind if I interject? No, sir. The interesting thing is, you know, Mighty Mouse's training regime is very light. So he trains one day on, then he trains twice another day, and then he takes another day off. So he's a, he trains once one one day, then he trains twice on another day, and then he takes another day off. So that's a very light training regime for most pros. Uh, and um, I think, you know, he's coming off, he came off of, a, of an injury, a 10 bone layoff. And that issue of his peak, and also it's not about age or just, just you know, um, physical peak as you get older. It's also about damage and time in in the sport. He's been fighting MMA a long yeah. time, and there's some damage associated with it, which Cejudo doesn't have because he hasn't fought that long. You know, wrestling is, is a tough sport, and there's damages, but there's not a lot of brain trauma. I mean, there's, of course, some in any sport, but it's not the same when you're going in camps every day and day out and putting the training on and, uh, and, and absorbing that damage. Like, that's an issue. But I, I'd like to talk about exactly what I saw was technically my breakdown. And you said, Matt, you said something very interesting. You said it was the takedowns. Mm -hmm. but, and I agree with you. Absolutely, you had an Olympic-level takedown artist putting his game on and an Olympic-level pinner putting his game on, Demetrius Johnson. Jimmy's like... Man, I haven't felt this before. And he said after the interview, I didn't see so much, but he's like, man, this guy felt so heavy and so much stronger. And that's not weight. That's, like, technique. Mm -hmm. Obviously, wrestlers have a great idea of weight cutting, things like that. But, like, uh, and, and Cejudo is a little bit of a bigger fighter. But what you're dealing is we're dealing with physicality and a guy who won gold medal in the Olympics. Like Daniel Cormier, same thing. You're dealing with a guy who, remember Daniel Cormier picking up a um, – the war master, uh, Josh Barnett, and twirling him around his head and throwing him on the ground. Like, only Olympic-level guys can do that, yeah. you know? That's, that's, so you're, you're dealing with a guy at like that. But also, what, um, what he did, and I think this is key to a lot of the fights we've seen today, is the transitional element of MMA is that Cejudo was great off of the transition in between wrestling and striking. And the same thing when we go to the Cody, Cody and uh, TJ fight is what happens is every single time that Cejudo missed a takedown, when they disengaged, he was the first to punch. And this is why Mighty Mouse's corner, the whole time I caught it, Matt Hume was saying, hit him on the break, hit him on the break, hit him on the break. Cejudo was always first. Mm -hmm. Cejudo was always first, and they were talking about how they were going to use the wrestling the same way Daniel Cormier did against Stipe, how you use the wrestling and the defense of the takedown makes you drop your hand and you're open for the hook or the uppercut or whatever. And, and I mean, every single time that I saw it, not every time, but, but the ones that I saw, because I obviously wasn't looking at the fight every single moment, but I saw at least six times, seven times during the fight where when the takedown wasn't there, Cejudo was just trashing him with that, like as, as Demetrius Johnson was defending the takedown because the takedown threat was so strong. 
And he'd break, and he'd, he'd beat him to the punch. And that's why Matt Hume was saying in the corner, dude, you got to hit him on the break. And he was not able to do that. And that is that transitional MMA element that I love. I absolutely love it. And it's something that, you know, we've always worked at Radical, but we're going to work even more, is hitting on the break, hitting on the break, hitting on the break. Whether it's you shoot and you hit the guy on the break, or which is what Cejudo was doing, or what happened in the TJ fight was, and this was the turning point, and you, you, I think you said you saw an interview on this. I did not see it, but where Cody shot in, there was a break, and then TJ just cracked him so hard, and then that was the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, so that's my take on, on, uh, on the DJ fight. It was that he beat him with the takedowns, and he beat him with the threat of the takedown, and on the defensive takedown, he beat him there too. And um, his ability to nullify DJ's half guard was critical because um, TJ's half guard, this is the first time I've actually, I mean, I'm sorry, um, DJ, DJ's half guard, Mighty Mouse's half guard, there was some problems there. When you're dealing with the heavier fighter, uh, you cannot play the traditional, what we call fundamental position number one half guard where you fight for the underhook. You must play what um, Elio uh, Soneca Moreira taught me uh, when I had the few times I trained with him. He's a master half guard uh, specialist. What he calls fundamental two. Uh, we have to use a butterfly hook and use elevations. And uh, when someone is heavy, you must get that hook in and elevate. And DJ did not do that. And he was he could not deal with that weight on top of him. So first he's like, man, if this guy gets me down, he's holding me down. And I'm having trouble getting up. So then he's like saying, man, I got to fight this takedown. So when he fought the takedown, then he's dropping his hands all like, I will not get taken down. Boom, he gets cracked. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's so focused on not getting taken down that Cejudo's like, ah, now I'm going to drop your hands. And it goes back to scared striker syndrome that I always say is when the, the grappler is more, much more takedown artist, when he can put that fear of, fear of God into the striker, the striker drops his hands and the grappler beat wins in the striking math, you know, aspect. And not to say that DJ is a bad wrestler. DJ is originally a, a very, very talented um, freestyle wrestler, and he's great. DJ is great. Mighty Mouse is a great wrestler. But you're dealing with great, and you're dealing with Olympic-level great. And not only is Cejudo Olympic-level great, but he is considered to be, you know, a, a, one of the best wrestlers America's ever produced. You know, like, you know, he's, 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 he's up there. He's, he's, a, he's a fantastic, inspirational figure for me and technically just incredibly sound in what he does. Um, so that was my take on that fight. And it was really about grappling and grappling in an MMA context. And it was just, that was the key. And then let's turn it to the TJ and Cody fight. And it was the same thing, as I said. The turning point of the fight, Cody shoots in for the double. He gets pancake bumped. And then he comes back up. He comes back up with his hand down and bop, he gets hit. And then from there it was downhill. He got dominated with the knee. And he got put in spiral wrestling control, which is a... Wrestling position where the hand is around the body waist and you're just eating it, which is now statistically one of the most common finishing positions in MMA. And he's on all fours, getting controlled, and TJ Dillashaw is pounding his face. And what does he try to do? He puts both hands on the floor and tries to get up just like he did the last fight. This is where the wrestling transition to MMA has to be changed. He's all he's trying to do think is, is thinking wrestling. I can't be on my back. I can't be on my back. I can't be. I got to get up. He gets up and he exposes his head to strikes because he's thinking as a wrestler, not as an MMA wrestler, what he should have done was Granby rolled over and gone to guard or even given up side control because he could have defended himself for the strikes more. But he's thinking wrestler, 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 not MMA wrestler. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, he lost the fight this way and the, the way before, both in the same position, because he cannot MMA wrestle rather than just wrestle. And, you know, you always say I'm, I'm, I'm critical of Damian Maia that he's doing, you know, sport jiu-jitsu, not MMA jiu-jitsu. But, but, you know, this is – and I love Cody Garbrandt, but he's doing – in his wrestling, he's doing wrestling, and he needs to do MMA wrestling. And when he fakes – finishes a shot, when he comes up, he's got to come up with his hands up, not his hands down like, like, like a grappler. He's got to bring his hands up to ward off the strikes. And that was the turning point of the fight. But anyway, what was your, what was your feeling on the Dillashaw-Cody Garbrandt fight? You always have a, a great perspective, so. Uh, well, I was sitting on my couch. No, uh, <laughs> nice perspective. Um, it, was a, it was a great fight. I think Dillashaw really proved himself to oh, be a, totally. a good champion. Um, I think uh, Garbrandt needs to go back and do a lot of homework. Yeah. And he'll probably come back maybe in a, a couple events. And oh, maybe. he's great. Um, He's a great fighter, for third, sure. A third round with uh, DJ, uh, TJ versus Garbrandt. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> hard when, initials, yeah, right? I know. Right? We'll say Dillashaw and Johnson. Right? Yeah, yeah, Dillashaw. Right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was really impressed with Dillashaw throughout the entire fight, and um, I, I watched the behind the scenes stuff, and, and I was impressed with him, his training as well. The funny thing is, like I was talking, to, I was watching the fights with Professor Ken, and I was talking, and with Jilson, and we we're talking like a lot of aspects of Cody Garbrandt striking are actually technically better than TJ, Dillashaw's. The same thing with, you look at technically Daniel Cormier is not as good as technically as Stipe. And yet they came out with the win because they're winning in the transitions. It's, it's not like, okay, you're a cleaner boxer. But it doesn't matter. It's like how you use the wrestling boxing combined. Can I interrupt and for a second? Who, how, how do I get invited to these parties? Because uh, Professor Ken and Jillson got invite, invitations. Plus they have oh, to start okay. training. No, no. This is a problem. <laughs> I am so sorry. No, it's Let fine. me say 100% of the time, Matt, you are always welcome at my place mm-hmm. uh, uh, to watch the fights. Right. The next one... We'll have you and, uh, and and your wonderful wife over, okay? Okay. My wife. And just to be clear, I'm not invited. They show up. <laughs> <laughs> I got some food. It's okay. So come in. And then I'm in. Bring food. Oh, okay. And 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 mm-hmm. just be, uh, you just have to bring yourself, buddy. That's all. Okay. Uh, just. Going off what uh, Renee is saying about the transitions, if you see the victory that Daniel Cormier had over uh, Miochi, uh, Miochi, Miochi, right? yeah. uh, Stipe, yeah. It was out of a transition, you know, and uh, was the, all the, the left side was completely taken, like oh, they're working on the hooks and, and wizard, et cetera, and then he just like a very short right hand. Like nothing, like very short. That's it. Yeah. But the, it would say like a nothing, quote-unquote nothing, but this is a professional fighter, so nothing is relative, right? So it's like, but it, hit you, it just hits you like in a way that short – but very precise and with all that power that and, and expertise to place exactly where it need to be placed it and that was it. So the transition is something that sometimes people do not put as much time as they should because either there will be a transition from the ground up or from from a quote unquote grass Roman uh, position uh, standing, but there will be a transition at some point. Throughout, yeah. throughout the fight, so the transition is uh, the transitions are very important to be worked on because they they really can define the the final result. Even somebody has more, uh, it's uh, more technically they are better, as uh, Rene was saying before. The transitions can define the final result of any fight. Interesting. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it was two amazing fights, um, and and just 
just like the Miocic and Stipe fight, just like this fight, you saw every single fight hinged on the transition. Um, but I want to take it back to, to some, because we haven't had a podcast in a while. Um, we missed the Shogun-Smith uh, fight, which um, was sad. And on the other card, we saw two, it was two guys, two veterans who, who got shellacked. It was not just Shogun. And, um, and it was just a absolute, Shogun lost to a basic front kick to the face and a one-two. And... Uh, Teixeira, who I love Teixeira, but he was um, he faded in the face of a much younger fighter than Anderson Corey Anderson, and Corey Anderson's pace was just the key to victory, and he just he just put him out. But you see two guys who uh, represent um, the history of uh, uh, of not just you know when you think of Brazil, we think of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but Brazil is a home to many martial arts. Actually, my first Brazilian martial artist I ever met was um, a Taekwondo um, uh, champion. He went to the Olympics. Um, uh, Jungwoo Park, and um, he was Brazilian, but Brazilian Korean, and he represented Brazil in the Olympics uh, for Taekwondo. And Brazil has always had, uh, uh, whether it's Capoeira, Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, or, or kickboxing, Muay Thai, great um, striking heritage. And, and Professor Jilson represents that, that lineage. And unfortunately, Master uh, Naja just passed away. How, when, when did he pass away? Uh, July 12th. July 12th. So he was the person you said who was influenced. Who, Every single person who trains Muay Thai can trace their lineage back in Brazil to him, correct? Yes, that's correct. Do you mind telling us a little bit about him? And then also, Justin uh, has some great, great uh, perspective on the on the battles that uh, that were in Rio in the eighties. Yeah, well, for that, we're going to need like a few episodes. Because, <laughs> well, we all the time you need because we had so many battles, if you will. You know, you have Jiu Jitsu against Muay Thai in nineteen eighty four. You have uh, Jiu-Jitsu against, you know, Luta Livre, 1997, and was still very controversial because, you know, you got yeah. you know that they turned down the light. And you said in 1982, you were at Professor Naja's Academy and Holes Gracie invaded the that's, Academy. That's correct. Uh, that's can you can you just first tell us about Professor Naja and then tell us about that invasion and what it was like to be on the other side? A lot of times as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners, and I'm an MMA practitioner, but one of the styles I, I do take a lot of pride in doing is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I, I do love it. But we always we tend to see... That. yeah. <laughs> We, hear, we listen to it every day. We know that. <laughs> I also take pride in my judo and my karate. But, um, but you know, we a lot of times we're on the other side of the of the invasion story. And, and it's great to hear the other perspective when, when the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys showed up your, at your place. And uh, you got to tell the story. But tell us about Professor Naja and, and, and your experience and then that invasion too. Okay. So uh, I always start with, Professor Grandmaster. If Grandmaster, you will. But I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, no, no. Sometimes we call Master Grandmaster. is a professor like uh, most of the Luther Lived guys. If you see, like, even in YouTube videos, you're going to watch, like, uh, Hugo Duarte, uh, Eugenio Tadeu. They call uh, Elio Gracie professor. It's just like, it's just yeah. a very common way yeah, yeah, for yeah. us. Like, uh, Professor Elio Gracie, you know? It's just, like, very common. So the Master Grandmaster, it's something of your choice. Uh, it's not mean the respect. It's just like yeah. it just used to in a way. So the first, I want to be, um, I want to honor Nelio Naja because uh, Nelio Naja was the person who brought Muay Thai to Brazil in the late seventies. So we're talking about like seventy-seven, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. So that's when really he brought Muay Thai to to Brazil. Okay, and. At that time, as it's known for uh, by many people, in Brazil, we had no idea what uh, Muay Thai was. And 
at that time, we had jiu-jitsu, which was the dominant martial arts at the time. And we had very good fighters in other disciplines, especially Taekwondo. And, and I guess Capoeira, too, of course, right? Capoeira has always been present, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Because it's, it's part of a heritage from, yeah. you know, from the African. Right, right. But, right? A, but I, I mean, almost every Brazilian I've ever met has practiced Capoeira, too. Yeah, but, it's not, yeah but it, when you talk about Capoeira, you talk about something that is practiced, not necessarily if people are fighting. Right? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. You don't say Capoeirista. Yeah. You know, someone who practices capoeira in MMA, Vale Tudo. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, just you do it for fun, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. It's something that people practice. It's an excellent, excellent uh, martial art form. And and it also can be very, uh, can be taken as a fitness type of approach, especially yeah. for women. It's like, it's wonderful. It's, it, you know, it's like, I, I think that they would, women especially, they would have a lot of fun with uh, practicing capoeira. So in, in the late 90s, Nelio Naja brought Muay Thai to Brazil. And what happened from this point forward was that you can find different things in the internet, and, and that's the thing. That back in the day, we're talking about in the 80s, we, there is no internet. So you know what somebody told you, and based on the level of authority of whoever's talking to you, you're gonna believe whatever was said. And especially if you were part of a tribe, so you're gonna just raise your flag and then, yes, I'm this, I'm that, based on that. But there is no fact, fact yeah. checking. Also, for the people who don't know that, in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or the Valley Tudo world in the '80s and '90s, it was all about your tribe, and there was a tremendous rivalries, rivalries that ended up in many ways very dirty. And I, I touched the end of that in my martial career where you could see even today there was some level of like I belong to this team and this is my team and if you're not on this team you're a crunch and uh, traitor crunch crunch yeah traitor um, so we still have that a little bit but back then it was crazy when you were part of that tribe it was life or death that was it was your clan it was it was almost like the old ancient days you know that was something serious it's right? extremely yeah. extremely intense at the time and so Nelly Niger brought Muay Thai to Brazil in the late 70s. And you're going to find different information on the Internet. I'm going to just share what I know based on my lineage. And I know that he went to Curitiba, Paraná, south of Brazil. And one of the, the students that because he, he actually got in touch with the Taekwondo black belt at that time, to he would like to teach them, just show them the new type of martial arts. And then he brought people like Flavio Molina, Luis Alves, Wellington Narani, which were all black belt in Taekwondo and very known. And Flavio Molina especially, and I will speak more about Flavio Molina because he's a very important figure for me. He was known and seven as the best Taekwondo fighter of Brazil. And he is, he is part of the Hall of Fame in Taekwondo because he was that good at the, in the 70s especially. So he invited several black belt, Taekwondo black belts to show them the new word called Muay Thai. In Portuguese we call box Thailandês, which translate actually in Thai boxing which is more of a European way of, that we call Thai boxing is more European which may, it has more to do with the Dutch Muay Thai not the Thailand Muay Thai. But just to be clear, even though it translates into Thai boxing, what was introduced by Master Nelly Naja was the Thailand 
really Thailand Muay Thai, not the Dutch. Okay, just to be clear. So, from this point, once uh, in Curitiba, Master Nelio Naja, he graduated a a group of people. They were his first, let's say, class of black belts. Where Flavio Molina was from Rio de Janeiro, where Luis Alves, where Wellington Arani. They went to Rio de Janeiro, and Flávio Molina, Mestre Narani, and Nélio Borges, they started an academy called Naja Academy. Which is still around now, right? They have the thing back, even in like late 80s, they had more than 50 gyms, mm. you understand? So uh, the gym that I was part of was in Largo do Machado, because I used to live in, in Gloria in the 80s. And like Machado was like two neighborhoods away. I would just walk to, to train. And at the time that I made uh, mid-80s, when I got to uh, Naja Academy, so Master Narani was the person really in charge. Master Flavio Molina, he was uh, just changing gears in terms of his own personal life and career. He was a detective. He was a parachutist. He was the most decorated air rescuer in, in Brazil. And, wow. and he was a fantastic example of a real martial artist inside the dojo, outside the dojo. Everybody loved him. And he was a detective as well as a police officer. And, and, and so I come from this lineage from Academia Naja, right? So it's a Naja Academy in Largo right. do Machado, where Mestre Narani, who was a black belt from Nelio Naja, who's the one who the f- was my first teacher in the Muay Thai kickboxing arena. Right. And and so y- y- the people went to Curitiba, they were part of the lineage that eventually became Shoot the Box, right? That's correct. Right. Who was who uh, uh, Hujamar's instructor? Hujamar Freire. Naja. Nelly Naja. So that's where H- it goes. Hujamar Freire, is a, is a, he's a part of the first group of okay. black belts from Nelly yeah. Naja. And then that he was the founder of Shoot Box. And he is and so fun. Shogun is a student, and and Anderson Silver were all the students of Morillo. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, Chris Seaborg, yeah, Van der Leyen. And who was um, who was Pedro Hizo's original coach? Mar- Mar- Marco Hoos. Marco Hoos, and who was Marco, Marco Hoos? Flavio Molina. Molina. Yeah. So you see, so every major MMA fighter, and you know who? Do you know who? Uh, for the people out there that um, who just won, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Scarface. Uh, Jose Aldo is coached very often by Pedro Hizo. So you see the linkages to this wonderful individual even today in MMA today that the striking in MMA today goes all the way back to this one individual. The, the That's lineage, amazing. I was at uh, Professor Cannon's uh, school and then and I was talking to one of his uh, teachers. And he's a front shooter boxer, but yeah. he's from a different lineage, right? So it's uh, because there are the, the Rio de Janeiro and there is... Paraná, Curitiba. Yeah. So when you talk for about people who don't know, that's a long way away. Uh, Brazil a, is a big country. Yeah, it's country. So <laughs> things like Rio is southeast Brazil, and Paraná is south. So they are not they are they are far apart. Yeah. Not as far, but far enough so they can just be themselves and have yeah, their yeah, own. Yeah. Cu- they do have their own cultures. So, so when when it comes to Rio de Janeiro, Nélio Naja brought to Brazil. Flávio Molina brought to Rio de Janeiro. Flávio Molina was the, the man representative of Muay Thai in Rio de Janeiro. And he was your main coach? 
No. Oh, uh, Narani. 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 Yeah, was, was, sorry, sorry. Maninko. So, and then, and the the the, the in, invasion was at Nara, Master Narani's academy. You uh, at that time, they when they opened the school, it was Flavio Molina, was Nelio Borges, it was Wellington Narani. So they opened the school right. in 1982. So what happened was yeah yeah let's say it's here yeah so <laughs> you you know uh, you went to Brazil so you know Petrópolis yeah not so there is a place called Teresópolis yeah about an hour away from Brazil uh, yeah. not from, not from quite Brazil yet. from Rio. I mean but from Rio, from <laughs> sorry from about an hour north yeah. of Rio, out so of, there the was, suburbs yeah there was an inter not so I'm not, I'm not gonna say suburbs okay. no this is like up it's like it's like saying upstate New York yeah upstate New York suburbs right okay whatever yes yes yeah yeah. 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 Queen of Suburbs. Okay, right. All right. So, all right. <laughs> so, let's talk about mountains. Like, Ara uh, Serrana, we call it like Ara Serrana, meaning yeah. there is Serra mountains, mountains and, yeah, and yeah. hills, etc. So, so there was an in, a, in uh, some encounter, okay, between some jiu-jitsu practitioners and some Muay Thai practitioners from Acad- Naja Academy. And the people involved were Charles Gracie. Which Charles Gracie? Yeah. And he was lapped in the face by Mario Dumas, which is was one of the students from Naja Academy. What was the reason for getting slapped in the face? You don't need when you're a teenager. <laughs> when, you were, when you're a teenager, you don't need the reason to slap so anyone. So Charles Gracie. All right. He was lapped around. Yeah. And then he went back home. He cried a little and said, and then the Grace family, as as is Grace, so yes, we're gonna get revenge, which means we're gonna get there and we're gonna get uh, back to them. You know, and we're gonna have. You know, our pride, our honor back, this kind of stuff. So what happened was, in ni- this happened in 1982. This was they, uh, a time when there was like, I think the World Cup was happening, something was, there were some people playing football, etc. So like it was not busy at the time. Only that, they showed up, and you can see this on YouTube, I can translate to you guys. Oh, so there's a video of them of this. Not there is no video of the invading. Oh, but, okay. But you have Dumas, you have Eduardo de Chapelle, uh, you have uh, Robinson Gracie, Hans's father, talking about the incident. Oh, really? Okay. So what I'm telling you is not only what I know is what they are telling the video. So right, right. I'm telling the truth. That's what they are saying in the video. I'm here to translate, especially to translate what yeah. they are saying, because there, as I said before in the beginning of the conversation today, the podcast was there are voices that they have never been heard because. Especially the Grace family, they have a very much, a lot of influence here in the United States, and they have videos out, and they speak English, blah, blah, blah. And the guys from Muay Thai, Luta, live in Brazil, they don't have the same level of fluency. Uh, and they, the video, whatever they say, even today, 2018, people in the United States, they have no idea. They still keep right. listening to whatever the Grace's family is uh, saying right, right, and right. whatever's happening. So, as I said before, it has nothing to do with the grace for me, from my uh, perspective. It's not grace or Luta Livre or Muay no. I'm just translating and giving voice to those who, people that I know. Who that, don't have a voice. Don't, they, they don't have a voice. So, so, so yeah, okay, so what, so what happened at the time, <laughs> so what happened was, because of this incident, they decided to invade Naja Academy. Academy in Largo Machado, which is, was my school. But right. I, I wasn't part of the school at the time, this 82. I was part until the 85, 86. That's when I got there. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, I'm translating what they're saying and how much was passed down to me as I was at the school. It's training, right? 
And so what happened is, as it was very common to great families to do, it just they have they put a lot of pressure on uh, right on you, right? So just like 20, 30 people just at once. And if you're not really experienced with uh, caixa grossa, as we say in Portuguese, like in Rio especially, it is like really experienced fire. You go like, whoa! You feel the pressure. Caixa grossa means hard skin. It means yeah. uh, like a Brazilian Portuguese way of saying tough guy. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're, you know, like fight street you know, fighter. Yeah, mm-hmm. you scarred yeah. guy. You know, yeah. you scarred. You know, you have the like the tongue yeah. like yeah. fibrous tissue there, and then you can take the pressure, and then as you like, and then they went to Naja Academy. Who was leading? Holes Gracie was leading. Holes Gracie. Holes Gracie was who, who, for people who don't know, Holes has actually passed away in a hand gliding accident. In but the same Hick, year. Hicks and Gracie's teacher. In and the same considered year. One, yeah, and one of the best uh, jiu-jitsu practitioners mm-hmm. ever. So Holes Gracie is the one leading the party of yeah. about 25 to 30 people. The thing is that they went in the afternoon while what, what is happening was kid taekwondo classes. They didn't go at night when they knew there would be Muay Thai fighters there. <laughs> and adults. They went. Was by lucky, maybe. But what I'm telling you, they went there and it was only like, like a, kid, Taekwondo a, kids and their parents and probably five people from structures mm-hmm. like Flavio Molina, uh, Mario Dumar, Eduardo Chappelle, uh, or Chapel, depending on how you can pronounce it, uh, Hubis Negon, do, that he used to sleep in the in the in the in the, in the academy. So about like, like four or five people, and they got like thirty, right? And they just like stormed into the place, and then host talking to to Eduard, say, "Listen, I came here to talk to Flavio and Mario because I have something to do to deal with Mario because he did this and that." And um, and then Eduard went upstairs and said, "Flavio." Because it, it was on a uh, different floor. So they fly, uh, there was something from the Jesus that wanted to talk to Mario, and uh, etc. And then Rose just stormed the, the, the school with everybody. With the, the class taking place. Oh, that's rough. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like all this samurai code, bushido, you know, that is, sounds great. But in the 80s and the 90s, doesn't matter who you're talking to. This was not there, all right? It's like it looked more like a bunch of just a, a gang. It's a gang, a bunch of thugs, whatever. It, either in either side can be the Muay Thai, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu. It was the same thing. But Jiu-Jitsu was very common to just invade people. Great family was very known to just invade places. And then w- they took the place, and then someone from the Jiu-Jitsu, I'm translating what the video says, and he said, you know, who is going to stay, stays, and uh, whoever wants to leave, lives now. And then all the kids and the parents just get out. <laughs> of course, they were scared. And then you have like 25, 30 people against probably three, five guys from, from the school. They were there. And then Flavio Molina said, listen, guys, if, if you want to have like a value to it, one-on-one stuff, that's fine. That's okay. But please do not respect. It's my academy. Do not respect. You step on the mat with your shoes. You do respect my, my, my place. So don't do that. But I'm telling you guys, when it comes to the 89s, Grace is not the grace that you know. You understand? It's, there is no like what you know. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna leave at that. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and Hickson was there. Really? Yeah. And Hobson Grayson says in the video, Hickson was there. But Hickson is like probably 24, so he knows what he's doing. So all this, I understand all the bushido stuff. Is like it goes out of the window when it comes to honor and stuff. Anyways, so what? That's what happens. F- Holes challenge. 
challenges Mario Dumas, who was the guy who was left Charles, and they started fighting. Halfway into the thing, Hobos put him down, passes the guard, take his back, and then go for a, a rear nickel choke. Until there, just one-on-one. And then Mario Dumas thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to just stick my, my, my thumbs in his eyes because oh, I'm, I'm defending myself, right? I'm right. just right. And they were like, so once he did, so whole started screaming. Aah! And from this point forward, everything hell broke loose. Right? <laughs> Holy shit. So, so, now, so now you have 25 guys just like beating, kicking, punching, cabeçada, just like head banging. Yeah. And then like, Mario Dumas was bleeding all over the place. Everybody's like, everybody's like really in a bad shape overall because of the number of folks. 25 versus 5. Yes. So Flavio Molina stepped back, and I'm translating what uh, Eduardo uh, Chapi says. He started like, he had uh, some weights, mm-hmm. you know, in the room. He started like tossing some <laughs> weights, you know, <laughs> into the jiu-jitsu guys, you know. And, and back in the day, you know, it's like, as, as I said, you said before, uh, Hene. Uh, Rene, it's like I, I, I answered a henna yeah, too. Yeah, it's like it's uh, it's like really a tribe thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they picked Mario Kuma up and one went to the window to toss him out of the window. And this is the second floor. Yeah, so it's not it's not joke stuff. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. like serious stuff. Mm-hmm. When they got and and Fred Molina is tossing just weights, <laughs> you know, and then like you know, it's like very interesting. So they were gonna throw so, him out of the second floor window. And he's like, "Botal defunto." Now, defunto is dead body, right? He got it. Yeah. So and he was a dead body. He was defunto, so, like they tossed this motherfucker out. <laughs> you know? So by the time they got to the window, there were at that time two police cars downstairs because probably the parents called yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. happening right yeah. and then once but they, the Brazilian police isn't exactly like police police <laughs> either they are police uh, and if you're there you're going to be arrested and beat they're going to beat the shit out of you <laughs> if I translate to them what you just said so but no, if you have some money on you yeah, right. I can help you <laughs> but if, if you don't have money on you I can't do anything I don't know him no, I don't speak I don't speak English what is talk I'm Brazilian so I can help you that's my experience with the police yeah. in Rio anyway, yeah, it's, never mind. listen yeah, it is right. what it is right. so once they saw the cars they dropped Dropped Maru Kumar out the window, or they dropped no, no, no. They dropped in the dojo, and they just they dashed both out of there. So from that point, so Flavio Molina picked Maru Maru Kumar and Levou to Migokoto. Migokoto is a hospital, very known hospital in 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 Rio de Janeiro. So took him to the hospital because everybody's like just bleeding. So Eduardo Shap and another dude uh, walked down, uh, walking around the block. And they found some slow jiu-jitsu guys still walking around. <laughs> and they found that chubby guy. As a, that's, that's Eduardo saying, like, then we found, like, a, the slow chubby guy from the jiu-jitsu. And we just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> you know, it's like, somebody has to pay for this, right? And this has, like, it just, like, beat the shit out of the chubby slow dude. And then it was, like, just like kind of just washed their soul for a little while. And that was in 1982 when the Grace family, the jiu-jitsu guys, the Grace family, invaded my school, was Naj Academy in Lago de Machado in 1982. And unfortunately, in 1982, was 
also the year that host Grace passed. Right. But that was the start of the rivalry between uh, Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, or uh, did, and it continued from that point on. The thing is, no, no, no. Yeah, the thing is, like this. That's one thing. So at this point, the guys from our school they wanted to go and invade a great school. Right. Flavio Molina was a wonderful dude, wonderful guy, and he said, "No, let's not. We're not going to do this. Just let it go. It is what it is, and and move forward." Only that. As you guys know, in 1984, there was jiu-jitsu against Muay Thai. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. So, oh, man, there's so many things to talk about that. So the thing is, like, there are some several, like, pieces uh, piece of information when it comes when it comes to the, when it comes to what happened, how it came about. And there was a lot of story that actually just, like, to sell magazines were not really what happened. There was there was a, uh, a rivalry. They say like, oh, Molina went to newspaper and said this. Like, hot, you know, as I mentioned on YouTube, he's talking shit, and he's saying that you know Molina challenged Hickson and this, and then they could do this and that, and that's just, that's a lie. That's totally a lie. That's a lie. Okay. Okay. But so, oh. Molina never really challenged. Hickson has always been a Marcus who was an Uduwashi thing has never been ever with Molina. With the thing was Muay Thai against Jiu Jitsu because until that point. Jiu-Jitsu had, had always been dominant. Right. Right? So the idea is, okay, so if you're going to put together a tournament, so and as far as I'm concerned, Hobson Grace was the one who got in touch with Molina f- for the challenge through a uh, Alex, Professor Alex, who was a Kung Fu guy who got in touch with him to put the, the things together. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying as far as I'm concerned. As far Hob- as you know. Yeah. Hobson Grace was the guy who got in touch with Molina to put together this event uh, through a Kung Fu professor called Professor Alex at the time to put together this event. And they started just pairing and this up. This is 84, and it was how many guy fighters against how many fighters? So we had like four four. Four and four. Yeah. So four, yeah. Who were the fighters? So we had we had uh, Marcus Ruas, Eugenio Tadeu, Molina. And uh, to uh, on the on the thai, uh, Muay Thai, yes. And uh, I said, uh, who's that? The other out of my head right and now. And you said so Eugenio Tadeo. Yeah. So he was Muay Thai, and was he both no. representing Luta Livre or Muay Thai? Or no, the, the thing is that by the time that in '84, Eugenio Tadeo and Marco Ruas, they had been training Muay both. Thai with uh, Flavio Molina. Yeah, but they both really were. Coming from Luta Livre and Taekwondo, right? Yes, yeah, they, yeah, they, they, yeah. That's the thing. Is like who has Marco Suis was originally a Taekwondo guy. So all yeah. the thing is like we don't know how much time they spent doing any yeah, something, yeah. right? A particular discipline. So yeah. yes, they had some some. But but Ojeno Tadeo, he has had always been like a Luta Livre guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So and and Max Huiz as well. So like we, they used to train with, uh, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, uh, Bruno Sally. If I call it Bruno Sally. For, for those guys who don't know, Marco Suas was in one of the early UFCs too, and, uh, and the winner uh, actually, of the UFC yeah, seven. yeah, yeah, he's like the first guy to do a heel hook in the UFC, I think. And and uh, yeah. uh, and uh, and Pizada stomp. A stomp, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The UFC seven, so like <laughs> nine five. Yeah, right. So, so the whole thing in '84 was how we're gonna match for uh, Flavio Molina. He matched with uh, Marcelo Betting, was a black belt under Hickson. Under Hickson. You had uh, Marcus Ruas fighting Pinduka, who was a very known uh, yeah. jiu-jitsu fighter at the time and tough guy. Uh, you had uh, Eugenio Tadeu contra Henan, I think Pintangui or Pitangs. 
And then I think there is, uh, and there, I think it was Hicksu, a Hickson, Casemiro. I don't know if it was on the same '84 match, but there was. I'm not sure if it was Hicksu, but there was another uh, another another guy. I gotta, if you Google, you're gonna find it because I I'm just talking out of uh, what I know uh, can access right now in my head. And so the the whole thing with this the 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 '84 was just go just uh, Google something like Vale to do. 1984 uh, or Muay Thai versus Jiu-Jitsu, something like this, and you're gonna get something. And so, so Pinduka fought. Fought at Mahuhur. Yeah, who won? With draw. A draw. They gave draw. Ajanta uh, Tadeo won. Vladimir against who? Lost. Who? Ajanta Tadeo. Yeah. Uh, Hena. Hena Pitangi. Hena Pitang. Yeah. Some, something like this. And uh, you can find it this on the internet. So. You, so the whole the, the the thing that happened at the at the time on the eighty four is that yeah I got it here Pinduka versus Mark Marco who is part yes. one I'm gonna post it on the on the web page you can see it oh yeah. yes this is this is good this is really good <laughs> so the whole the whole thing the whole thing like is like uh, what you see what you see on YouTube it's uh, the, the the problem with the YouTube videos is that everything's so edited out. Yeah, you know, and then so whoever posted first, they kind of control the narrative. So everything that you watch, uh, Fly the Molina fighting Marcelo Batting is highly, highly edited. All the advantage that Fly the Molina was having in the beginning, they added out because they are favoring the the, the jujitsu, right? And 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 uh, Elio Visual, who was the referee of that fight, he was a jujitsu practitioner, so he was totally biased. On, on that fight, favoring Marcelo as much as he could, he could at the time, in, including when the, the 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 guys from the Muay Thai tossed the, the towel, so they would just stop the fight. You know what he did? He just like pick, he picked up the towel, he wiped his face and tossed away, and just let the guy Marcelo keep beating Flavio Molina with something that Eugenio Tadeo says, like because the order was just get as much damage as you possibly can because the guy's the poster boy of the Muay Thai here and we gotta make uh, make a point, right? So then so it's like he was like a piece of shit as a referee uh, because he was highly biased and they just allowed to an athlete and a fighter to be to be hurt because of the bias. A bias. So so in the end of of the the event it was it was seen as a draw overall. Yeah, uh, you're right. Um, Fend- for, uh, uh, Fernando Pinduca and Henan Pitangui. Yes, Pitangui. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is there's an article all about exactly what you're saying. And there are several. Guys, there are several. Yeah, I'm reading the article right now, and um, and it's actually everything Jilson that you're saying is exactly documented. In this okay. article. What, you, what, what you guys listen to the podcast yeah. knows that uh, I'm. I, I, I'm sharing with you guys what I know, not what I'm, I'm reading here and there. Mm. So, I, like, sometimes people go to podcasts and they go, like, they do a lot of research and they they sound like they really wise, they know what they're talking, but that's because they watched a video or read a, an article. I'm just talking out of my head based on what I know, my knowledge and my experience of what happened, okay? So so if there is a lack of information here and there, it's just because just, like, just off the bat, uh, based on the topics that we that we're talking, so in the end, most important at that time was that 
was considered a draw between jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai. Yeah. And that was very, very, very important because jiu-jitsu had been around, you know, talk about the 50s, right, with the Grandmaster Elio Gracie already showing jiu-jitsu. People had knowledge of jiu-jitsu for 30 years. And now this mm-hmm. come this new group of people calling Muay Thai guys who had to be basically, at, at that point, they had to be like training for three years top. And they draw with the guys who had been around for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, and that was a big victory for And, and Eugenio Tadio knocked out Pitangui. He knocked him unconscious, it says. Yes, it was a, more, of a, more of a TKO. Than yeah, yeah, actually yeah, a knockout. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, they're talking to people who didn't have the same level of, of lineage of training. I mean, jiu-jitsu was established since 1920s, and, and this is newer, and they're doing so well. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm just taking from the 50s with yeah. uh, Grandmaster Elio Gracie. Yeah. So like they had like 30 years, 40 years of being known as the dominant martial arts discipline, and then comes the new guys that had been around for overall in Brazil five years, and this group had been trained probably together for one year or two. That actually Marco Juas and and Ejantadin was training with Master Fabio Molina, and then they draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. So it was like a big victory. And then you you, got, you can see this Ejantadin uh, talking on, uh, on the video saying like this was like the the a, a, a tipping point or pivotal, if you will, uh, point in martial arts in Brazil because from this this tournament in 1984, people started considering that there were different disciplines in Rio de Janeiro, especially besides Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's kind of like interesting because that's exactly what happened in the UFC, in the history of the UFC. It's like first the Jiu-Jitsu guys came in and beat the snot out mm-hmm. of everybody. Then the wrestlers came in and said, hmm, your takedowns suck. So we're going to stop your takedowns and punch you in the face or put you on your back and nullify your guard and punch you in the face and either do a Chuck Liddell or a Tito Ortiz. And then you started having all the other people coming into the today. So yes, Nobody's saying that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, is a bad art, but it's saying that to say that one art is the absolute best is bullshit. And I totally believe that. And I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but to say that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the only art you ever need and that's it and it's the number one art, blah, 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 is stupid. And you can see that if you are a one-dimensional fighter, eventually people with other dimensions will have an advantage over you. It's, you know, it's, like it's, it's not common sense. It's like, it's like it doesn't matter if it's 1984 Brazil or modern you know, MMA today. It's the person who's more dimensional – and understands that the higher level of evolution is going to win. It's something that I mentioned before that there was a video with uh, uh, Malibu, right? The master yeah, yeah. Malibu. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, get on the, with the way you disagree with the bullshit. I want yeah. to hear that. Uh, <laughs> so this is a video that came out like yeah, uh, maybe, what a few days, a few weeks uh, ago, right? No, no, a few months ago. A few the, months ago. The, okay. Yes. So I, I'm not going. to uh, Okay. Before I get into this, I, I don't want to explain. And you got to give it to me so I can post it, yeah, and then yeah, with translation. Listen, we guys have like a. An hour by now with podcast. So I'm, I, what I'm gonna say, what, what I'm gonna yeah, what, keep, keep what, it short. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm gonna say is this: uh, when it comes to uh, at that time in 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 '84, it was a pivotal moment for disciplines overall in Rio de Janeiro, and the rivalry happened. And there's as a mess, there are so many things that that we can be talk right now in terms of who invaded who when. And it happened you know, throughout eighties and nineties, and I can share my experience because I was there. I lived that. I lived those invasions. Okay, so and I trained with, uh, and I trained some, and I was trained by people involved in all this this conversation. I met uh, many of them and became friends and or acquaintances. Some of them, like Valid Mayu, for example, right? We, 
I love Vlad Ismail, great guy. And so there, there was a, there, there was a something that uh, in the video that I mentioned was January 2018, if I'm not mistaken, that Malibu and Hajari Kamons was talking about this. Malibu and, is a, a student under Hicks and Gracie, by the way. And Malibu said, the problem with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the sport Jiu-Jitsu especially, is that everybody adapted to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu didn't adapt to anyone. Mm, that's a great point. That was his perspective. Psh, totally amazing. And Malibu is a master. He is a real... That, that's a great point. And that's that's so, true. So based on what you just said, that's, that's the, the, the things like... There are phases that we go through, right? There is an evolution of everything we do. People will come up with ways to deal with you, strategically speaking, right? Some new movements, some new com- striking combinations and strategies overall. So if you are the dominance that was in 1903 in the first years of the UFC in the Jiu-Jitsu was, yes, it was very clear. Once that is, people started adapting to it, then you see clearly as the, the years progressed, the UFC progressed, that the dominance was lost completely and based on what uh, Master Malibu said, is exactly what else. You still think that you are as dominant as you were, and you were not. Yeah. I will tell you, I, I helped one person uh, get ready, and he was a very high-level sport jiu-jitsu competitor. And he said, oh, and this was not so long ago. This is, you know, a uh, little more than 10 years ago. And he said, oh, I don't need to know striking. Hoist Gracie proved uh, UFC uh, in the UFC that uh, ju- all you need for to win is the UFC is, is, is jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, boy, you're gonna have a bad day. <laughs> and I won't say who that is, but it it didn't it didn't work out for him. <laughs> like to be honest with you, it's like I was uh, uh, joking with myself like in my head. You know, you talk to yourself sometimes, and I was like, you know what? Sport jiu-jitsu is the new karate. New, yeah, the new Taekwondo. I was going to say yeah, karate. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I'm black belt in karate, so I can talk shit about my tribe. <laughs> you guys can't. So it's like, you know, it's like the new karate, but which is also, also is, uh, is, uh, can be taken to any other discipline. Like, yeah. It's like, is the new uh, like karate or the new Taekwondo, but the new karate in the sense that you, are, you have a black belt in a particular discipline, it's a martial arts discipline, and you live in your, your little world and you think that you are the shit. Because you live in your little world, not competing outside that comfort zone. But once you step out of it, then you're going to see that you are not the shit. You are shit. <laughs> I love <Somebody>. that. <laughs> you're not the shit. You are shit. You are shit. <laughs> you know, it's like that was a meme with Obama and Trump. You know, oh, and, right. and Obama's like, when you know you are the shit. And then with Trump was when you know that you shit. So it's like <laughs> exactly that's what I got from. And, right. But it, so by what the, the things like they have like this gold sachet, sifu, kung fu, you know, swam golden thing, and they never compete. Aikido guys don't compete. Like kung fu, no, because we are traditional martial arts, we don't want to compete. No, no, because you suck. You can't yeah. fight for shit. Yeah. And jiu-jitsu is that world there? You no. can only... Th- that's yeah. the thing. You can only fight people on the street that don't know how to fight. If you fight someone who knows how to fight, then you're going to fucking lose because this is outside you, what you know. You're going to go with like... I, I, and, and, and I'm Brazilian, so I, fuck it. So it's like, that the, the, the take it, the Brazilian take it out, it sucks. The, the Bayanada, it worked in fucking 1950s. 
But mm-hmm. you're gonna still see see guys default like they go they default to the fucking bayonet. They look like a like a, a zombies like with the both arms stretched out, like with the head down, trying to to grab yeah. somebody's legs. And like the most. Ridiculous this is where thing. we this is where we go and talk about Damian Maya. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Bayonet is a bad takedown. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it, 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 it yeah. has. It works. That's the whole thing. It's like it works <laughs> against Damian against somebody. For everybody. Yeah. yeah, right, right. It works against someone who doesn't know how to fight. Exactly. Right, right. So, so like you have a, a huge reputation of a particular discipline in real being that was created against getting in trouble in the street against people who don't know anything, know better, right? And of course, they have the, the, the they have they do have uh, they have credit. Only that at some point they stop progressing and evolving. Absolutely. And so, and I think that happens to every martial art. You, you know, and every martial artist. You know, you, you, if you're not careful, you sit on your laurels and you, you, you stagnate. And you have to. That's why MMA is so great because it says, "Okay, DJ, you think you're awesome? Guess what? Here's this next guy who figured you out. You better come and evolve. If you don't, goodbye. And there's no bullshit." It's like either you evolve or die, and uh, and that's great. Um, Jilson, I want to say thank you so much for this thank great thing. Much. We're gonna have uh, part two where he talk. Jilson talks about the Luta Livre and his uh, experiences, personal experiences with the Luta Livre fighters and their their. Uh, and you were at the fight with um, in '97, right? Yeah, Tijuca Tennis Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were at the where 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 Henzo Gracie was fighting and uh, yeah, big controversy. We're gonna talk about that one next next time we have Jilson on. Okay. Yeah, we have we have. And then we also can have about we're going to talk about Hickso against Marco Hu. Oh yeah, we talk about when Hickso when the Grace family invaded Bo- the Boqueirão Club. All right. Wait, I've never heard of that one. Uh, like invading yeah. places. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, we got to hear. We got to talk part about of the that culture. One. Okay, got it, got it. Got it. All right. Thank you so much. And Matt, anything to to no, close up? Thanks everybody for listening. No, this is great. And, you know, it's a, well, a lot of times I like to talk about the ancient history of martial arts, but sometimes it's it's good to know our more recent history, but also. I, I think there's a great saying that uh, the victors are the ones who write the history books, and and it's it's not just the victors, but it's also the PR the PR masters write the history books, and we have to give a voice to some of the people who don't who have a different perspective uh, on that, and uh, and it's great to have uh, Jules Song here um, showing the Muay Thai and the Luta Livre perspective uh, that he grew up in in, in, in Brazil, and I'm going to post the articles uh, that I found about this, and also the fight video of uh, Pinduka, who I actually actually. Mr. Pinduka is someone I really respect um, um, uh, as a fighter, so it's no disrespect. And because you talk about Mr. Pinduka there, I just want to say the last comment is going to be Professor Flavio Molina when he fought uh, Marcelo Berrin. He had a busted knee completely. He completely torn his meniscus, and he asked the fight to be postponed, and it was denied. So at the fight, he was completely done with his knee. He had like several inje- uh, cortisone injections shots to be able to. And you, depending on the video that you watch, you can see that he f- he kicked with his right leg, his right leg, and you can see he's already limping right away because he's he's in pain, and he gotta f- be switching base all the time to keep fighting. And he was denied. And in 1988, he goes live on TV. And say, listen, I'm not the kind of guy who can challenge people. Because they just they did all the time this. Okay, guys, so let them know. So, and then he challenged Marcelo Bagno again to fight. And Marcelo Bagno said, okay, so I'm going to talk to my master, Hickson Gracie. And, 
and uh, we'll see w- what's going to happen. And then you see Hicks and Grace in the videos talking about it. I know uh, what he's going to, what flag he's raising right now because I know that he's te- he's learning Lutalib, which he lied. He said he was teaching and he was learning Jiu-Jitsu was a lie. He was only training Lutalib free wrestling and Greco-Roman, so it's a lie. And they never gave the, reve- the, the, the opportunity for them to fight again. But he went uh, in 1988, which is four years later, when he was feeling better again. You know what? Let's fight again, and then we can fight. And they never get the opportunity. So and he lost that fight. But you said it was a very tough fight. It, was a, it wasn't like a short fight at all. It wasn't a matter of short. Like, there it was is, a really this, rough this, fight. This, this is in YouTube, right? Yeah. So there is a, 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 a standing. Masala doesn't have, of course, an advantage. So Flav Molina has an advantage. And then, and you see, Steve uh, bearing his uh, his brother, which is Marcelo uh, Brothers, yeah. saying that making saying like you know what Marcelo was talking about that one of the kicks that Flavio Molina gave him, so like well thanks God that that he didn't kick me again because like it was they hurt so much and he was limping for a week. That's what his brother saying, right? Mm-hmm. So he fought because he's a warrior. He w- he was not in a place. His doctor. Denied him the 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 the, the right to, to fight. Said, "Listen, don't go, don't fight. You're not in a place because it's busted." And but he did because he had to go because it, it was the water that he was. Right. Anyway, that's the, and then still was a tie. It turned out to be a tie at the end. No, myself better won. No, no, I mean the 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 whole event. The whole event. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, but thank you for that perspective, and we'll continue that in the next podcast. But we'll post all those videos of the fights. And we can learn a little bit about the, the history of Rio in the 80s. And it's really fascinating. And if you guys have any suggestions, any videos that you guys watch in Portuguese, right? Uh, one of people that you like or don't like and like them to help you guys to understand what is happening in the right context. So just let us know and uh, I'll do what I can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right.